0: Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Welcome back to another episode of the Broad Eye Podcast. My name is Steve McIntosh. I'm uh, here filling in for Sean and Bruno this week, and I'm joined here by Dr. Andrew Mahar. Uh, Dr. Mahar is an associate uh, professor at the Pennsylvania College of, of Optometry, and he's completed a glaucoma fellowship at uh, Salis University. And he's also a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. Uh, Dr. Mahar, thank you for joining us. I'm super pumped to have this conversation with you. Welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you
0: for having me. When I read your article recently about uh, branded versus uh, generic uh, pharmaceuticals and, and the differences therein, I thought I've got to have a conversation with uh, with this guy because it's it's a really great topic, you know, and we've all... We kind of touched on this in school, you know, and we hear about at conferences and there's kind of common knowledge there too. But, you know, you did a deep dive into this subject, which is awesome. And you really looked at some of the um, the physical properties of of the uh, delivery mechanisms and the drugs, how the regulations apply. And you explained a lot about it and actually you know, really broadened my knowledge about this. So I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity to share some of this this knowledge. So thank you for uh, for putting the word out there. And making sure that we're all aware of these uh, differences so how did you first get interested in this topic was it through some cases you came across and you're seeing differences in the uh the outcomes or what was your experience there so
1: yeah um i you know just in working in glaucoma and even in primary care before i did my fellowship i Always kind of knew, like, you know, you got your generic latanoprost you your starting patient on the drop. You kind of always knew or heard around that, you know, it may not work as well. You have to refrigerate it, which is going to be a little bit of a hurdle. Um, but really, um, what really spurred my, my wanting to kind of dive deeper into this was experience alone. Specifically, um, once we had resumed clinical care in June of 2020, um, it was... Our clinic was not bustling. It was actually kind of like a tumbleweed going across. It was just the doctors, no students back yet. I'm in glaucoma, and um, just seeing patients one on one, which was a great opportunity to get to know the patients better because everything was so spaced out. And we're we're using the disposable tonal probes. You know, we we defer to that more so in eye care, and um, you know, see the first few rounds, the first few weeks of patients. We were actually going every other week. We had two different groups to kind of limit any sort of, uh, you know, uh, cross-tracking for COVID and, um, you know, I see a couple of patients. I, I see maybe one, I'm using the disposable tonal probe. It seems a little bit different than getting a pressure reading of a well-known patient who had been, um, taking a, a branded medication, at least to my knowledge. And, um, you know, you know, oh, pressure's a little bit high. I mean, let me check the other eye, I'll go back around to the other eye and, and just see, maybe, you know, too much, too much fluoresce. Uh, and the other one, same. You know, a couple points higher than that. And uh, said, you know, you know, Mr. So and so, you know, things are up a little bit. Um, you know, not enough to really make any changes. So you know, we'll we'll kind of just keep an eye on everything and and get testing. And that started to happen, kind of more and more and more. And fortunately, in in our EMR, um, we are able to look at fill history. And so, um, most of the time, I make sure it's well documented. So I know exactly what they're on. But started to look, and all of a sudden this travel started to pop up and, uh, we maybe saw it, you know, four or five times before COVID had started. And we kind of said, Oh, you know, give it a try. We don't have much experience with it.
0: So that's the, it, it just switched to the generic all of a sudden. And, and you saw like at this time, almost,
1: almost everyone who's on Travitan and I guess, you know, formulary switch at the beginning of the year insurance is all of a sudden going to say, "Nope, not going to pay for Travitan Z. We're, we're going to, we're going to pay for travel It's cheaper. Um, and, you know, I thought, am I losing my touch? Was I out for that long? Am I not getting tono like I was before? (laughs) Um, is it, is it the probes, you know, is it anything? And and I just saw this distinct pattern of all these patients, you know, and in really it was every single person who was switched, um, getting this slightly higher reading. And, you know, when I saw them back or even some of the ones where I started to see that pattern, I said, all right, you know, this isn't a good pressure for you. Um, we're going to switch you to a brand and see what happens. And at the moment, the only, um, kind of branded standard Prostagland was your Lumigan. We had samples of it. We could give them a trial, see how well it, it um, compares to the, uh, Travis Prost. And, you know, in more cases than I can count, pressure went right back to where it was supposed to be, you know, two to three points lower. Or so, and every point, you know, makes a difference, but, um, you know, I, started to collect and just see the, these trends. And it wasn't until a couple of months in where someone was on travel across they just happened to be the same, you know? So they responded to it a little differently, but the, you know, overwhelming majority of patients just, it, it didn't work as well, simply put.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So through your own clinical observations and real life situations like this, you could and go back and mine through some data which is awesome about these uh, electronic emrs that we have now you know we can actually go yeah. through these uh, historical data points and and dig out some trends you know so that's that's great that you took the time to do it too uh like you said I, I sometimes attribute these variances to human error when i'm doing it uh but you know it's you're totally right to go back and look at and dig in and see what what changed here you know um and like you say, it's it's the only modifiable risk factor we have for glaucoma. So a few points makes a big difference. And this is over a long period of time, you know? Yeah. So um yeah, I, I can see where where you uh, especially as uh someone who's working in this this area of care and glaucoma care, you you're looking into it very deeply. So that, that's great. And what did you find? Like, so what are some of the differences that when you looked into this uh, topic in general, um pharmaceuticals that are generic versus uh, branded, what are some of the differences in the regulations and, and uh, how they, how they come to be, how they, and their space yeah. in the market?
1: Um, well, I was pretty blown away at uh, first, just how non-regulated generic medications are made. Um, they don't have to go through at all, the any of the rigorous trials that they did for phase one, two, and three of, of FDA approval um, and eye drops are unique in that it it doesn't um, it's hard to measure blood plasma concentration. And so it kind of defaults to this, well, if it has the same concentration of medication, an eye drop, and it's absorbed by the eye, then we deem it to essentially be the same with a, a little bit of tolerance, um, but not a lot, you know, between between that. And you know, I, I think I, I came up with the analogy that, that really works best in that uh you know you know the ingredients of of a good pasta sauce but you know no one makes it as as well as grandma does and so when you know the big main company that was making it now all of a sudden the recipe's out to all these generic companies and um although they you know can put everything together and it's going to work it's it's not going to be exactly the same and um really you know it's it's not even just the medication that's in there but it's everything else Um, You know that affects the absorption of the medication. It affects the surface tension, the um, pH level, even all these sort of things really play a factor in in how that's absorbed or how well that's absorbed. If it's not absorbed well, Um, you know some studies even looked at the orifice size of the drop bottle and the drop bottle dimensions, which are not regulated and. Um, you know, you might be pushing out too little or, or too much, um, which is is going to in some way affect that. So there's just so many factors that, that go into that, that, you know, if you sit down and do the research, you kind like, of oh, go, that all makes sense, but it doesn't really come to mind immediately. Um, you know, the drug stability as well. Um, you know, a lot of drugs are more temperature dependent. And so um, a lot of places say, you know, refrigerate the botanopressin until you take it out and then it's good to use. And, I tell my patients treat it like your milk. Don't leave it on the counter. Um, you know, keep it in there. You want to keep it at a stable temperature because um, it will it will make a difference. It can degrade um, if it's at a higher temperature. Especially my one patient um, who's from Jamaica who prefers 80 degrees in her apartment in the summer. <laughs> um, keeps her keeps her. She doesn't take taking the process but she keeps her other medication. I finally, you know, not to go off too much on a tangent. I asked her, you know where do you keep your loom again? And, and and then I finally got to talking about how warm do you keep your house? And she's like, oh, I love the warmth. And I'm like, well, the loom again, you got to keep in the fridge in the summer.
0: Oh, for sure. So I just want to go back to that analogy. That's a great analogy about um, grandma's pasta recipe. We really understand it when we simplify it and make an analogy like this. So you have the recipe, you start mixing these ingredients together. Well, how much force are you using? What type of, uh, containers you know are using a plastic container to some of the uh, molecules to adhere to the side of the container. Is it glass what's the surface area of it you know so yeah all these things definitely apply and uh, I guess that's why why uh, that famous recipe from uh, grandma it tastes a little bit different when we try to make it ourselves sometimes but yeah there's so many of these uh, steps along the way that um, carrying along that analogy, just it's the same as the manufacturing process for some of these medications too. You know, um, every step along the way, there's all kinds of variables. You know, in science too, we we learn about controlling every variable except for the one that we're experimenting with. And um, you know, if you're defending a paper, you get people who ask you, um, "Well, have you considered like lunar cycles? Have you considered all these other?" really extraneous variables that you're like, well, come on, like that's not going to have an impact. And then in a situation like this, it's kind of interesting that there's a lot of variables here that kind of have an obvious impact that aren't controlled, but we kind of give it a pass, you know? So it's almost like sort of a, a double standard in our, uh, in our approach, you know, with science. Right. Um, historically, over time, have we seen an increase in uh, the market share of generics? I mean
1: if you think like a businessman it's it's cheaper to make these um and as long as they follow all you know the the rules fda puts out then you know they can produce it so it's it's um greatly increased um and so it's it's saving them a lot of money to produce medication um but it's 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 not going to be the same
0: so like over the past decade or so we've seen a quite a bit more market share go to uh, generic medic medication compared to the branded form. And like you say um, it does save a lot of costs and make, makes more options for uh, for patients too, which we know is beneficial for patient outcome. Sure. Absolutely. And I guess the reason why it is cheaper is because we're not requiring or the, the regulators don't require these companies to reinvent the wheel and, um, go through the same process of uh, proving the efficacy and the safety profile. Is it three months or or it's quite a bit shorter duration? um, Three. Yeah. It's just,
1: just three months.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So is there a balance? Like, should, do you think regulators should actually change this uh, or is this more on the shoulders of clinicians like ourselves or patients, even, even retailers, like who takes the responsibility and what could we change here to, um, to make a, a better balance between having these these options available, but making sure that they're they're working properly.
1: Um, I, I think you you could look at this really in a few different ways. Um, I mean, if you take the approach of let, let's make things more stringent, um, that is going to take a lot of political action, I, I would presume. Um, and these are bigger companies where you know they're going to. You know, not to say it can't be done, but I think that's going to be a tougher hurdle. Um, rather than we being more diligent as clinicians um, and and getting the word out to know that it, it does make a difference. I mean, um, you know, checking with the pharmacy every single time the patient comes in, if you can, to ensure that they haven't been switched, um, because you know, if there's a generic out there or a kind of so-called equivalent, um, in, in their eyes, um, they're, they're allowed to switch it, you know, where, and, and we don't necessarily have to be informed of that. So I, I think some light needs to be shed on that from the, from the pharmacy perspective as well. I can't tell me how many times things have been switched. And I mean, I've, I've found a few ways they, the, the pharmacies probably hate me because of, uh, you know, how obnoxious I might be and, and say specifically do not switch to 0.04% travel prompts. You know, brand name medically necessary and i i write it in the sig because they're legally obligated to follow the sig um anywhere else the non-clinical notes you know might you know get swept under the rug so um i've taken the stance on just being very vigilant about it and you know this this podcast as well is, is going to help hopefully get the word out more um where i think i think that's you know kind of at the moment the 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 easier route to go i i think Morally and ethically, you know, thing, FDA should place more regulations on things like that. I just think that that's such a bigger hurdle um, to, to go over. And, and, you know, there is a place for generics. You know, I have countless patients on generic medications that work just fine. But when they're unknowingly switched and maybe they're, um, you know, just more irritating to the patient, even in that sense, and, and certainly if they don't work as well. Um, you know that's that's where I ensure that you know that's not the case that we stay vigilant with it
0: for sure you know and like you say th- this is a well-researched topic you know when you look through your citations on this paper we're, we're discussing uh, you know it's high impact journals like high impact publications really documenting the differences here significant differences and well well published but uh, like you say, podcasts like this and and getting the word out in other uh, mainstream ways uh, is important too. So I, I think you're right. We we have to uh, make sure we we check each time to see what people are using and keep on. Uh, we can't assume that everybody reads reads the papers in um, in in journals too, or has access to all of them, or that the public are um, you know up to speed on all these these things too. Let alone people working in healthcare as as well. Uh it's hard to hard to keep ahead of that curve with all the clinical time like keeping up to date with the research. So um yeah like podcasts like this, exactly what you're doing now, sharing, spreading the word, um definitely, yeah, I agree. That's that's a great idea as well. We've actually had some other guests on this podcast with kind of uh we've come across similar topics actually. One area is uh, nutraceuticals and uh, ARED's medications, and how inconsistent the actual contents are in the shelf life. When um, when you analyze the advertised amounts of of the luteins, the xanthin, and so on inside the uh, supplements, you're getting huge variability depending on all kinds of things. Eat, but even rate from the manufacturer as well, which is really scary. So yeah. Um, it's not just eye drops too we we're seeing this effect in um other industries too i think i think part of that's maybe a, a byproduct
1: of just the mass production you know it's just going to be within some tolerable limit but you know um they're producing so much of it you know for for money <laughs> rather than anything else that uh you know that kind of unfortunately you know goes by a little unchecked
0: yeah for sure we have to keep in mind when a, a study researches um, drug or product A and finds that it has this effect, and then if we see product B contains these same ingredients as product A, therefore it has the same effect. It does. It's there's actually a small non sequitur in there where we um, we're making an assumption that that the ingredients. Are the only factor it's not all the buffers or the viscosity all these other factors the physical properties of the uh of the drug itself of product a or drug a that can have a big impact too um even the preservative you know like uh, for glaucoma medications too like preservatives we we know it, it can actually change the uh, dynamics of the absorption too um i know the you talked a little bit about in your paper the um some of the thickening agents that can actually uh, change the uh, the outflow at, at the puncta, so the uh, the amount of drug that can stay on the surface of the eye uh, can be changed just by the the thickening agents within within the uh, the bottle. And these things aren't regulated either, as, as far as I know. Is that right?
1: No, not not to my knowledge. I don't I don't think there's there's any regulation. I, I know xanthan gum is probably the most common one um, that you see, but they they looked at uh, I think it's gelin or gellan gum as well and found that that was a bit more viscous and so that was beneficial in that study because uh stayed on the eye longer the eye was able to absorb enough of the medication you know lasting eight hours or more
0: yeah you know when we look at the ingredient list of things you see the active ingredient and then a a list of buffers and you know uh things for for ph and for viscosity and so on it's like yeah xanthan gum okay yeah whatever you know but they they do make a big impact in ways that we might, might not think about. Um, Have you noticed anything during the, uh, during the pandemic you mentioned, it wasn't as busy and I know we're doing a lot of telehealth too. And, you know, talking with patients at home. So we're not seeing patients come in with their bottles of drops as often too. Did you notice it um, uh, harder to monitor what, um, what patients are on during the uh, pandemic, while we're doing more telehealth?
1: Um, You know, we, we see we're back to almost full speed, we see a wide array of patients where there, there's you know a group of patients who we we know that relig, you know religious installations you know are taken they always follow the rule um they get their drops in um but you you know you also see some patients who um have have missed follow ups or we're just seeing them now back um after COVID, you know, after, you know, everything, even two years later. So it's, it's pretty variable, but I I, I see a wide array of that, you know, kind of the entire spectrum. Um, and, you know, most patients at least have been able to get their medication. Um, some were a bit more, you know, a lot of the elderly and, and those with other comorbidities um, were a bit more hesitant to come out. And we we understand that. and And as long as they're taking the medications, um, you know, that's kind of a, a bit of a compromise in hopes that, you know, they make their way out. Um, but fortunately I, I feel like most patients have, have stayed on top, at least on taking their medications. If it's been a bit harder to get in just from our, our, you know, past year and a half of a reduced schedule, um, you know, we're eventually seeing them come in and, and fortunately seeing most of them under good control. Um, happy to, to say we, we haven't seen too many, um, just Kind of uh you know go on a uh sabbatical of no glaucoma drops, we've you know i, I think for' I've been very fortunate to see that that most folks have have kind of been continuing on you know with what the doctor told them last and uh I know that can't it isn't you know the case everywhere, but like i said i I think overall it's you know other than you know one or two or so you know everyone's been uh pretty much staying on top of everything as, as far as the treatment goes.
0: Uh, that's that's great, you know. And like you say, um, having the fill records in your EMR super helpful too. I'm always uh, <clears throat> telling the patients, bring your drops in, bring your drops in, because I don't I don't have this uh, tech- technology yet. But um, it's nice to see that. Yeah, with as we uh, proceed and continue with uh, these advancements in technology and being able to deliver care at a distance too, and still monitor properly, then um, yeah, it's definitely uh, lots of hope for the future too. So um, on that, I think uh, you know that that's great. Thank you so much again for spreading this message and uh, reminding us um, about the importance of this topic, the difference between uh, branded and generic medications, and especially in ophthalmic drugs because some of these um, <clears throat> they're like you say, you you can't really measure the the blood serum amount, of the concentration, the active ingredient in these cases and confirm how much, uh, uh, correlation there is between the branded and the, uh, the generic in this case. So, uh, it's kind of a special circumstance. It's an interesting topic across lots of industries, but especially across in, in eye care as well. So, uh, thanks again for joining us and, uh, yeah,
1: man, absolutely. Thanks for, uh, you know, providing me, you know, the platform and, and helping to kind of get the word out and, uh, Special thanks to Dr. Gerwood who helped me you know, develop this paper as well. Um, and I, I guess I'll leave you with one more factoid um, that kind of blew my mind is um, they, uh, I, I wish I could say, I'm, I'm not, I'm blanking on it, but they found that latanoprost, which is kind of the most heavily generic drug used in, for glaucoma was made by 23 different generic companies. So if you think about the thresholds with that and the variability, you know, you know that you know that's just going to be the continual pattern. So uh, we as clinicians have to stay vigilant and, and stay on top and and just know that these drugs do make a difference and they may they may fit for some, but uh, in some cases, making that switch to a branded, um, you know, will definitely help out without you know overburdening them with you know adding more drops in the mix.
0: Wow, twenty three different companies. So we can imagine how many variations of the parent recipe there may be out there, uh, how many interpretations or different variables involved. And this all underscores the importance of talking openly about this topic uh, and being aware of some of these potential variations. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about it uh, in the future because it's definitely worth revisiting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. And that concludes today's episode of the broad eye podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, ratings and reviews are always welcome. And you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening.